Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And our special guest today is Father Gary Sellen. And our topic will be celibacy slash chastity so that we can uh, distinguish between the two. But Father, thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me, Deacon. Can you start us off in prayer? Yes, certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Angel of God, our guardian dear, to whom God's love commits us here. Ever this day be at our side, to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of the New Advent, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, thank you, Father. Now, Father, you're... you're one of the formators or the formator at the seminary, is that correct, here in Denver? Yes, I'm one of six. Okay. Yes, and my role at the seminary is twofold. I'm a formation advisor slash house father, and that's my main work is about 90% of my time. So at St. John Vianney Seminary, we divide seminarians in groups of like 15. Okay. Under the supervision of a house father, formator. And it's like being a father of a large, poor family. Uh, we do everything with them. Uh, basically, we pray, we have meals, we have recreation, I uh, meet with them one-on-one. I do everything, but I don't hear confessions and give spiritual direction. We have a separate group of priests who do that because our work is what's called the external form, mm-hmm. that we will eventually vote on the candidates to see if they have uh, the sufficient wherewithal for ordination. But it's a beautiful relationship, really. Then I have enough time each semester to teach one three-credit class. Oh, okay. So I'm just finishing the class on confession and anointing for the fourth-year theologians. So if anyone's interested how, indeed, uh, future priests are formed in the seminary, well, I have a class uh, meets twice a week, and we go over the doctrine of confession and anointing. Then we break into small groups, like two or three, and we do mock confessions. Of course, they're not valid. I just I play the penitent, and I— right. We'll make up sins, and I'll hear how they respond, and I'll give them critique and encouragement. So it's like a, a lab of sorts. Oh, good. Yeah, good. So that's, it's kind of like homily lab, too. It's not the same thing as the real experience. Right, sure. Them. Yeah. So the reason I thought this would be a really important topic, because, you know, we've had all the scandals that have been going on for a while, but especially uh, since this past summer, and I've had numerous people come up to me and say, if only priests could marry, and these are Catholics telling me this, then all these problems would go away. Yes. So I want to kind of dispel that, that fantasy or myth that's out there. Um, but before we get into that particularly, I think it would be good to talk about the history of celibacy just to kind of lay some groundwork for us. Excellent, Deacon. Yeah, that is a very wise place to start. And I'd like to present to all an image uh, so that we can appreciate the history. And it's an image of the Sistine Chapel. So back in the 1970s, when I remember I was a knee-high to a duck, uh, uh, I saw pictures of the Sistine Chapel, and it was very dark. And art historians started to have theories that the reason the frescoes in the Sistine Chapel were so dark was that Michelangelo was a man of uh, sadness and angst and depression, and he really dealt with... He couldn't really deal well with the uh, darkness of the universe and uh, almost a type of dread. And this came out into his art. And so there's a lot of theories out there about that. Well, the problem with that theory was in the 1980s, the Vatican hired a Japanese company to clean the frescoes. And they found out that centuries of candle soot had stuck to the beautiful 
paintings. And as they la- uh, took off layer of layer of soot, they found beneath very beautiful and bright um, colors. Kind of dispelling that myth, huh? Yes. Yeah. And it, when you go into Sistine Chapel, it's like going into a Baskin Robbins. So very uh, pastel colors. And it just showed actually Michelangelo had a very bright view and very optimistic view of uh, God, creation, and the church. And to get another sense of his his sense of beauty is he also designed the Swiss Guard uniform, that very bright colors. So I like to bring that to our imaginations, our mind, to say that oftentimes the same thing with regards to certain teachings and practices in the Catholic Church can, if it's not understood at its source, seem to be very darkened. Because when the word celibacy is discussed these days, oftentimes it's understood by Catholics and non-Catholics as something that's a burden, something that's a discipline that really, truth be told, makes priests unhappy, and they could really wish they could marry. But that is not the way it is. Jesus has presented uh, that to us, because it is a gift. So also, we may have um, a safe deposit box you know, at a bank, where we put in the safe deposit box our precious jewels and documents. So in the same way, a celibacy being a charism, a gift of the Holy Spirit, is a gift. It's a brilliant jewel, but it's protected in this, this box, as it were, called canon law, which is the discipline. The canon law of the Latin church, the church law, says that candidates for the priesthood must be celibate. But that's not the, be- the bottom floor. That's itself beneath it is a, a treasure that must be given and protected, received. The Old Testament, of course, was a preparation for Christ's coming. So when you look at the priesthood in the Old Testament, the reason, Deacon, I'm bringing this up now is to show how Jesus Christ is the very center of our understanding of celibacy. I invite the listeners, uh, next time they, you all uh, discuss and read something about celibacy, just take note to see how often is Jesus ever mentioned in these discussions. Many times he's not even mentioned. In the, that, no, he's not even a thought, probably. Not even a thought problem. Yeah. And that, that's, that shows the, the, one of the, the problems, perhaps also in our teaching, we're not putting Christ at the center. Because at the foundation, the reason priests are celibate is because Jesus Christ himself was celibate. And he's the reason, he's the cause. He is the very foundation of the New Testament priesthood. So in the Old Testament, you had uh, priests who would go to the temple from the tribe of Levi and offer sacrifice, but they would only do that occasionally, you know, when they were called up. Right. They were married men, but when they had to enter into the sanctuary, they had to abstain from sexual relations with their wives. So that's called temporary continence, that they were not celibate, they were married, but when they entered into the sanctuary, they had to abstain from relations with their wife in order that their prayer may be more unified. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in any way saying that uh, marriage and the sexual act is wrong or impure, but it's rather that they entering in the sanctuary of God helped them to focus all their mental and physical energies in prayer. The Old Testament, as the book of Hebrews says, the letter to the Hebrews is, was passing. So the Old Testament priesthood passed away and also all the rituals around it. So when Jesus Christ came, he established the new and eternal priesthood of of Melchizedek, as Hebrew says. Jesus himself never married. Uh, His spouse was the church, Ephesians 5. And the children that he begot were the spiritual children that given through his sacrifice on the cross, brought about 
through baptism. So in the early church, having then established the apostles, Jesus, uh, through the evangelization, setting up churches, this is a a very uh, fast view through the history. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, well, yeah, for the show, you almost have to. Reader's Digest version. The, The candidates for the priesthood in the early church were almost always married men, because celibacy was not a part of the custom of the Jewish people, because they were given the commandment by God to increase and multiply. But with Christ and the resurrection, people realized that they did not, men did not realize, they realized they did not have to uh, marry and give birth to children in this life, because the fact that they would live after death. Because in the New Old Testament, the Jewish people realize that they would continue to live beyond death through their children and children's children um, as the understanding of the immortality of the soul uh, gradually took hold you know of the other people understanding oh there is life um, and, and Christ gave that after death gave that to them so as we move into the the Catholic Church throughout the history uh, as it got developed more and more men candidates for the priesthood uh, were celibate but those who were not, and there's very strong uh, historical documents on this to show, was that married men who did indeed were ordained priests, they had to live a life of perfect continence with their wives. Uh, as the Old Testament had to live temporary continence, those priests in the first few centuries uh, who were married could not have relations with their wives after ordination. And I don't think people know that, right? Because you hear people bring that up. Well, there were married priests in the beginning, but they don't really understand what was call what their call was Mm -hmm. after ordination. Yes, yes. And so that eventually became more and more the the tradition, the the law in the Catholic Church, and it was a way of focusing the priest's prayer. It all has to do with prayer, first and foremost. And one image, as you go into the, if you've ever been into the, uh, you've been, of course, the seminary chapel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you come through the door, on the very right-hand side, there's beautiful stained glass windows right. that teach something about the priesthood. The first one on the right shows Moses raising his hands in prayer, and he has his two um, companions helping him raise his hands as the Hebrews are fighting against the Amalekites. And it said, as long as Moses held his hands aloft, the Jews had the better of the battle. But when he let his hands go down, the Amalekites had the better of the battle. So above that image in the stained glass of Moses is of Jesus teaching us the Our Father. And so the beautiful fulfillment is of Jesus the high priest is he showing us that priests must pray day and night for their people. And so one of the practical advantages of celibacy insofar as the priest does not have to take care of a wife and children is he's called to intercede for the people day and night. Yeah, so he's not around doing nothing. He's not a bachelor. And so I think, you know, the history is really helpful to hear about that. Mm-hmm. What do we do practically at the seminary to help men understand that, mm-hmm. but to also discern is that a gift that they've been given so that they can move on to the priesthood? How do, how do you do that in the seminary? We do it through a seven-year program, and our first year is a spirituality year, which is something like a novitiate, you know, mm-hmm. for those in religious communities. Uh, before they come to the spirituality year, they have to go through a pretty rigorous um, medical, psychological uh, exam and uh, various uh, interviews to see if they have humanly 
what it takes to be a priest. So already to get in the door, the men that come into the seminary have been fairly well vetted, they, that they have the foundational virtues and the openness for growing. In the spirituality year, which is a year of uh, prayer, a year of building up the heart, it's, not, it's a non-academic year, but it's a year in which they're learning how to pray. We have a media fast there, which means the seminarians cannot use their cell phone six days a week, so they have to turn them in. So they actually begin to learn that uh, it's possible to live without constant connection. And the connection we seek to have them establish is with the Holy Spirit. They also, and you don't need a cell phone for that. Right, exactly. <laughs> no username and password necessary. Yes, good thing. Uh, then they have uh, classes on prayer. They read the whole catechism, the whole Bible. They then go out once a week to work with the poor, work at schools. Then they have in January what's called immersion. They go out in groups of two or three to work with the poor. We actually work with them and, oh. and have had them at our shelters doing that, which is a great ministry. It is. And they, they're encouraged to just bring a small satchel, not to bring money. Yeah, they're um, not even sure where they're going. Exactly. Until they, yeah, yeah. It's like the night before they get their tickets. Then they learn, they end up with a 30 day silence, Ignatian uh, um, exercise, spiritual retreat up there in South Dakota. So they then start to listen more to the Holy Spirit, and they have a spiritual director, a confessor, with whom they can open their heart. Then in this year, they're starting to learn how to pray better. And then as the by the time they then go to the next segment, which I am involved in, the two-year philosophy program, we have academics for them, uh, but on the life of prayer, we wake up in the morning about, I get about five. We have a holy hour at 6.15, before our Lord in the Eucharist and morning prayer, we get done about 7.15, then breakfast, and they have class all morning. And then afternoons are free for study, exercise, and we come together for dinner, evening prayer, and then night prayer. During this time, we have uh, various, um, one program called uh, Formation and Priest Identity, and it's particularly ordered towards how to understand and live chaste celibacy. So celibacy itself, the word, means not to be married. Celibate means you don't have a wife. But chaste celibacy means in that, that life of not having a wife for these men, then they also learn the virtues, the virtues, uh, the moral virtues, the theological virtues, and how to grow. Particularly with regards to chastity, living a life of purity, and getting away again from the media, which is oftentimes the, the number one source of temptations for the men, they learn how to first go to Jesus for, uh, to fulfill their hearts. So we have this program for six years where they learn about the history of celibacy, learn about chastity, learn about integration of one's emotional life. We have psychologists at the seminary, very good, who also are on call if a young man wants to speak about some of his history, because sometimes the men come with a family background that's less than ideal. They may come from a divorced uh, family, parents are divorced, or there's some form of neglect. Abuse, yeah, it Abuses. could be anything, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they can open in a very safe environment where they can start to, to uh, work in healing. And so by the time they get to the end of their third year of theology, so that's six years into the program, they're pretty much ready. If they've got the call, they've got the ready, and then we vote on them, and then they can be ordained a deacon. Because once they're ordained a deacon, then they're celibate for life. Right, Yes. Right. They take the so just real quick, you're listening to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett. Our special guest today is Father Gary Sellen, who's one of the formators at the seminary here in Denver at St. John Vianney. And you did a great job talking about the history. We got formation. You brought up 
chastity and celibacy. For those who sometimes get that confused, and I know you, you briefly touched on it, can you talk about the difference? Because we're all called to live chaste lives. It just yes. depends on our call, right? Yes, yes. So celibacy, a deacon, refers to, in the Catholic Church, that the deacon, priest, or bishop who take the promise of celibacy will not marry. So after ordination, they're bound to the single celibate life. So they marry the church like Christ. Exactly, yes, yes. Uh, Very beautiful image there, Ephesians 5. And that was one of the reasons in the early church why a married priest uh, had to live a life of abstinence from sexual relations is because upon ordination, his spouse now was also the church. Right. So it's a way of kind of keeping uh, the two sacraments of marriage and priesthood t- together, but also now focusing his attention now on the church. A chastity to which all are called to, the catechism uh, describes it as a virtue uh, which moderates, uh, basically a moderation of our, our, our sexual appetite, our, our our passions in a very beautiful way in which there's a unity and purity and joy. So one of the uh, signs of uh, chaste life is joy, whether one be single or or married. And um, it's one in which one is able to live the life to which they are called by Jesus Christ. So where a husband would be faithful to his wife, Mm -hmm. that would be living chastity within the marriage. A priest is faithful to his church. Yes. Right? Exactly, yes. And he has to make the Holy Eucharist as the very center. And this one thing I tell the seminarians is that when he focuses on the Holy Mass and the Eucharist as the very source of his life, as uh, the church, Catholic Church teaches, then he's going to have a profound unity with Christ and his church. Because when uh, the Catholics go to Mass, and particularly on Sunday, they see the priests there offering the Eucharist in the name of the church and offering Christ's prayer to God the Father, he is taking uh, the, the body of Christ with him, acting in Christ's stead, in his head, to the Father. And there's something that's already elevating us up into heaven. So I think at Sunday Mass particularly, when they're in the sanctuaries, you know, there's a beautiful uh, sense of even the angels being with us. But we're already starting to live the life of heaven there. It's as though the angels come down, and mystics have seen that, like St. Bridget of Sweden during the Holy, Holy, Holy. She saw the Holy Seraphim coming down with their torches and inhabiting the whole sanctuary. So the celibate priest standing there on Sunday Mass is a sign of Christ now in heaven interceding for his people. What a beautiful vision. Mm -hmm. And Hebrew says that Christ always lives making intercession for us. So the celibate priest stands in in the name, in the person of Christ, to unite us with with, uh, the Heavenly Father. Now, if the priest focuses life on the Holy Eucharist and the virtues and confession and a beautiful pastoral charity towards the people, he will live a life of chaste celibacy. When the priest does not, that's when he falls away, and that's when we have the sexual scandals that have happened. Right, so it's not the celibacy itself is just not being faithful to your call mm-hmm. as a priest and being celibate. And I think people really get confused. I know I have a daughter who's religious and, you know, everybody focuses on, you know, the vows that they have mm-hmm. to take of poverty, obedience, and chastity. Yes. Uh, 
But she said, Dad, chastity's not the problem. We struggle more with obedience. Yes. Trying to, you know, retool our lives because we've lived one way and now we're doing the other. And she said, everybody gets hung up on the chastity piece, but that, that's really not the hard part. Exactly. And I second that very much. It's uh, poverty, chastity, obedience, the councils. The priest makes a promise of celibacy, uh, which is chaste celibacy and obedience, but he's also called to live a simple life, a life right. of evangelical uh, poverty. It is a truth, though, uh, the sad times that we see r- ourselves right now in the Holy Catholic Church is, you know, one case of abuse is one too many, but we cannot forget that there is the vast majority of priests, celibate priests, are living a life of chastity, and they're doing great work in the parishes. So what I do when people speak to me, they're concerned, I say, yes, we must pray for them, we must pray particularly for the victims, we must pray for justice be done, but let us also pray for our parish priests who are, are sacrificing so much in their life, and that they may find uh, strength through the, uh, the help of the people. We just look at Denver Post and other um, magazines around, uh, newspapers. We also keep track of the high incident of uh, sexual abuse outside of churches. I mean, it's it's very uh, much part of, sadly, of the culture today, particularly in the United States. Well, and look okay. at married men, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like every married guy does exactly what he's supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. We see, unfortunately, fathers do some really bad things. Mm-hmm. Marriage didn't cure that, did it? No. And so sometimes we get hung up on just focusing on the priesthood. You're right. I think, you know, you read all the articles, um, but in reality, it is a gift, right? I mean, if you're called, Christ is going to give you that gift to be able to do that, right? Exactly, yes. And that's why we must, uh, priests must renew our love for Jesus and his church every day. And that happens in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, And that's uh, just a petition for the listeners is please pray for us priests because we certainly uh, depend upon your prayers in a very important way. We have here in the Archdiocese also a a spiritual movement called Spiritual Motherhood. So we have women throughout the Archdiocese who are praying for priests and who are even spiritually adopting priests, you know, quietly and secretly. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that. That goes through Bishop Rodriguez's office. So if somebody was interested, they could contact Bishop Rodriguez? How does that work? Yes, yes, they would um, uh, be able to contact that office and find okay. for more information. Good. Yes. But I, I find um, it's there are practical aspects, advantages of celibacy. <clears throat> it does free us up. Mm-hmm. That's not the foundational reason, but it is a nice uh, plus. In other words, I do not have a wife and children to, to look after. I have 15 young men at the, the seminary, and they keep me plenty busy. I'm just glad you don't have to feed or actually pay for the food for 15 oh, yes, young I men. That would, you'd be broke. Exactly, yes. So yeah, and there are, so there are some practical concerns there, but we don't start there. We have to start with the, the fact that it's a gift, Deacon, as you said. It is a gift that must be lived and cherished. And uh, one way in which I love to also meditate upon the way that marriage strengthens celibacy and celibacy strengthens marriage. Marriage is very helpful for me as a celibate priest when I see happily married uh, spouses and parishes is because it draws me out of any um, temptation for self-serving. I see the sacrifice, the way that husband and wife sacrifice for each other and for their children. And so it helps me to avoid a bachelor type of existence. So a priest could, if he's not careful, a celibate priest, live a comfortable life in the rectory, a life of, uh, you know, he can really make his own schedule, he can do his, 
But the sac- a father going home at night does not have that, you know, that opportunity. I, I could attest to that. Yes, I was hoping you would share. With four that. kids and four grandkids, yes, I can yes. understand. But that's, I mean, look, nothing worthwhile is easy. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right? Everything should be sacrificed because that's the model Christ gave for us, right? The, the ultimate sacrifice. Yes, yes. And as um, Christ poured himself out for the church, so to the, the husbands, to the wives, and the wives to the husbands, and bringing the children in that circle of love. The way that celibacy can strengthen married people is that they show that marriage itself is a sacrament. It's a participation in the love that Christ has for the church. It's not an ultimate, but itself is ordered towards heaven. And one advantage in that respect of celibacy is, and I wear the collar pretty much almost all the time. I mean, I don't spray paint it on, but uh, I do exercise. <laughs> well, that's good, because then you need like some turpentine or something. Exa- yeah. Yes. Yeah, there you go. But uh, Pope Benedict uh, the Sixteenth once said, he's asking, why is there such a violent reaction against celibacy? And he said something very profound, Deacon. He said, it's because, particularly when the people in the world see a celibate priest walking around in his collar, it reminds them on some level that this is not the only life that we have, that there's mm. something over and above the day-to-day, you know, earning money, doing well, and that there's something that's above just the material. And that, I think, on the heart of everyone, even those who have rejected God or atheists, I think the Holy Spirit still resounds on a deep level, that there's a call to say, let's look deeper than just this world. And so that's, that's the, like at Mass, at Sunday Mass, seeing the celebrate priest offering the, ma- the, the Eucharist, it's a sign that this is not everything we have. There's something much greater in store for us. Well, I think that's a beautiful image and a beautiful say. I hadn't heard that from uh, Pope Benedict. So I think it is a great reminder so that when we talk about celibacy, it should help us focus on our own lives as mm-hmm. well, right? I mean, this is not the end, yes. right? We're all designed to get to heaven, or that should be our what we strive for, and to help other people get there. And yes. as a priest, and I can't believe we're down to less than a minute to go, you're the savor of souls and the example and the model of Christ here on earth. And so to think that that's a problem, it's the exact opposite. That should be the model of everything we do. So we're down to the last 30 seconds, Father. I don't even know what you can say in 30 seconds, other than I should have scheduled this for longer than 30 minutes. Um, How can people pray for you? Pray the Holy Rosary, please, uh, for priests. That is a very beautiful prayer that we can pray almost always. And Our Lady has a very powerful intercessory power for priests in their growth and holiness in zeal. All right. Well, thank you, Father. God bless for all you do, your prayer. We have you in our prayers as you continue to help men form in the seminary. God bless. Thank you, Deacon.